Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money morphosis.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome, it's Crystal Arnold, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. I had a great, inspiring conversation yesterday with a group of people put together by the Ashland Culture of Peace Commission here where I live in Oregon. And uh, there were about six of us. And the topic was about um, about money. And one of the women there has been Lynn Twist, the author of The Soul of Money, has been her assistant uh, for years. And uh, it was, it left us all feeling super uplifted and inspired about the potential that happens when we come together in person to talk about money uh, in our community. We touched on some really great topics of gentrification here and issues for people in my generation. I'm 35 years old on, on the challenges of, of home ownership and the cost of uh, housing here. And uh, it was just a really great, uh, great conversation about what our potential is as humans when we more wisely steward our resources together, when we have these uh, conversations and really um, do it with an asset-based approach where we're looking at what we have in our communities available as far as um, social capital, people's individual gifts our natural capital and our ability to really uh, get past the shame and guilt and fear that keep people from connecting around money. And I, I just really emphasize that money can be something that brings us together instead of driving us apart and leaving us feeling isolated and impoverished. And uh, so this is why I'm super excited to... Um, to introduce you to our guest today, Luna Jaffe. She has a very cool, um, it's actually a pie shop. It's called Prosperity Pie Shop up in Portland, Oregon. A very innovative uh, project that really brings people together face-to-face for meaningful conversation, financial education, and and just leaves people feeling empowered and, and like they're not alone in their struggles and successes with money. Um, she has, uh, so Luna Jaffe is the award-winning author of Wild Money, A Creative Journey to Financial Wisdom, and the owner of Lunaria Financial which is a boutique financial planning firm, also uh, based in the Portland, Oregon area. So as a certified financial planner, psychotherapist, and visual artist, Luna brings her financial and emotional wisdom, love of service, and passion for teaching 
to the Sacred Money Studios there at the Prosperity Pie Shop. And, you know, she'll tell us a little bit about her own money story because she really learned uh, the hard way about money through trial and error until she became a, a financial advisor 14 years ago. So what I love about this woman is she really lives to pass her knowledge on to those who need it by helping them step out of their own limiting beliefs and really boosting their sense of self-worth to imagine a world that is plentiful and supportive. Ah, just breathing that in, imagine how nice it, it would be to have someone like you, <clears throat> like her in your life. Um, so yeah, like I said, she brings people uh, together face-to-face -to -face for financial conversations and, and really has created a blossoming community where healing and thriving can take place. <clears throat> so welcome today. Uh, Luna, would love to hear from you in your words <coughs> what you find most exciting and inspiring about your work. <laughs> well, thank you for welcoming me. And um, what I think what inspires me is to recognize that rarely do I meet somebody that says, yes, I was taught about money and everybody, you know, convinced me as a child that I was going to be great at this thing called money and um and because we weren't taught about it, we often think that we're just inherently incapable. And I, I live to remind people that that's not true <laughs> and to give them the skills and the knowledge that they need to make sure that they are um, following their own value system and starting to develop a clarity around what matters and how to live with an intentional, um, mindful practice around money. And that, that's really what what I'm all about. So um, do you want me to say more than that? Oh, that's, that's a great start. I really think, uh, yeah, it's much needed work in the world today because as we've both seen with so many people of all races, ages, and classes are, are suffering um, around money. And, uh, and yes, as you said, we're not taught the basic skills early on um, about how to manage it. And and so I'd love to hear more about your personal journey with money and what really, um, you know, brought you, yeah, through through your life to choosing to become a financial planner and then how it mm -hmm. evolved now into the work you're doing. Yeah, so I, um, it's interesting, right? my son is a couple days away from going to college and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, have I prepared him and in some ways I feel like, you know, he hasn't been interested in, in allowing me to prepare him. And it's like, I realize, ah, it's really frustrating um, as a parent to feel like, okay, you know, where did I, how do I learn these things and how do I pass them on to a child? And I, I realized that for me, I was always um, interested in earning money. I, I started working at a pretty, you know, at 15 and was was always having to take take care of myself in that sense of, if I wanted something, I had to make money to make it happen. And my first uh, out-of-college career choice, so to speak, was to become an artist. I didn't go to school to be an artist, of course. I went to school to become a teacher, and then I went and realized that I didn't really like working in the public school system. And so 
I, um, I went traveling around the world and then came back and I was like, oh, really what inspires me is, is art and how am I going to do that? It really mm-hmm. just found me. Um, and, and many things in my life sort of speak. I feel like I get, I sort of have these messages that come in and it's just like, ding, that's your thing. And I was walking down the street in Boston and I saw this beautiful hand-painted silk banner and that thing just danced in the sky and said, you need to do this. And I was like, whoa, okay. I walked in and I said, okay, so I need to know how to do this. Um, who did that beautiful banner? And I have to meet her. And you know, I'm 22 years old and I just met the woman and said, you need to teach me how to do that. Um, and then I was like, oh, crap, maybe I need a degree to do this, you know. And so then I was like, oh, so I'll apply to art school. I went to art school for like um, six months and went, I don't need to go to art school. Like that's not really the point. The point is I just need to do art. And as I do art, I will learn and get the skills I need. And so I immediately started just making a living as an artist, not a big living, but enough of a living. And, and I, as a self-employed artist for 12 years, um, not knowing a lot about business, I realized that so many of my so-called errors were things of not knowing how to do my own books, not knowing how to plan and be strategic about what I wanted and even knowing how to price things. It was, it was very hand-to-mouth uh, in many ways. At the same time, I was pretty successful from the perspective of I made enough money to live on, which is more than many people uh, do. And, and a lot of it was choosing a, a form of art that was easily, like silk is so great because I could take it with me. It folded up into nothing. It, it wasn't like ceramics. I was always looking at people at art shows and thinking, oh, man, that's ceramics. That's, that's heavy. That, you can't just ship that around very easily. It breaks, and, and mine was silk, so it was super easy to take with me. So I learned how to be very um, on the fly with just putting my stuff out there whenever I was at a gathering or a conference or a, 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 when I was doing shows. So I've always been very entrepreneurial, but I haven't been super um, business savvy and knowing the intricacies of, of business so that I could really say to myself, oh, I know what my net income is. I know how much I'm paying myself and what my taxes are and having that at the forefront of my mind. There was always this sense of insecurity around that. And so when I was 30, uh, I was like, oh, man, I need to like go back to school. And so I went back to school to get a master's degree in, clinic, um, in counseling psychology, thinking brilliantly, <laughs> like everybody does, I think, that um, that somehow that would give me the business skills. And what I was doing at the time was teaching a lot of art classes and loving the whole creative process. And I thought, well, if I have this, if I have this um, master's degree, then somehow that will also give me business skills so that I can continue to do what I love to do but feel like I, I'm comfortable doing it in the event that there's I, deep, I reach into some deep psychological issues and I know how to handle that. Like I wanted to know how to handle it. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it. And as I think many times happens for people, like you go into grad school or any kind of school thinking you're doing it for one reason and, and I come out of it a psychotherapist. I didn't really intend to be a psychotherapist. And I get into being a therapist and I'm like, I don't really love doing this. Like I love the learning process. I loved I loved all the aspects of, of being in that journey, but once I started doing one-on-one therapy, I was like, oh, this just isn't an entire fit for me. Um, I felt like I was way too creative and I, I had too much energy and I couldn't just sit still and listen to people all day long. So, so I, I went on a quest and I was like, okay, what's next? I tried all kinds of things. I tried working. I worked for FEMA, um, doing out, um, 
crisis counseling, basically. And then I did, uh, I went to the corporate world and I worked there as a supervisor and taking sort of my, my psychology skills into the corporate world, which was a great education in what I didn't want to do. But it was really helpful um, in the sense that I know more about what that's like for people to be in the comfort of a corporate job as well as in the constriction of a, of a corporate job, that there's, there's some things there that really are amazing. Like it was the first time I ever had health benefits and I was in my late 30s and I'd never had health benefits. I'd never had a 401k. I didn't even know what those, I didn't even know how to invest. I had no idea. And uh, so part of what I like to be is living proof that you can learn these things because, you know, I didn't even start until I was 40. Um, and when I got laid off out of the corporate world and uh, right after 9-11, I guess I had this epiphany like, oh my God, you can get laid off. Like as a self-employed person, I couldn't get laid off. And I didn't, I was so thrown off by that. I was sort of stunned. And in that process, I, I started doing this prayer of, you know, what's next and how do I even know what's next? And I remember looking at all the different possible jobs and careers and thinking, you know, do I go back and get an MFA and, and really do art and teach art? Do I go back to the corporate world and find another job in the corporate world? Do I decide to be a therapist, even though I just that wasn't inspiring at the moment? And so I did a prayer that was um, about what I wanted to feel, focusing on that, and focusing on a few things I knew, such as I knew that I wanted to make over $100,000, even though it felt impossible at the time. It was just like, but it was like, that was my aspiration. I was like, I want to know how to do that. I want to know that I can do that. I also knew that as a mom with a young toddler, I, I gave birth at 40, and I had a toddler at the time that I got laid off. I was like, you know, I really want my child to know what I do for a living. I don't want to be so isolated from him that he doesn't have any clue what I'm up to. Um, I didn't want to commute. I wanted to be close to home because I wanted to be part of his life. And I wanted um, to feel like I was utilizing everything that I'd done in my life so far which was very creative and very emotionally grounded in psychotherapy. Like I wanted those things to be part of my world. And then the other piece of that little prayer that I gave myself was I have to say yes to any types of uh, sort of universe, the universe putting something, some opportunity or some idea in front of me. My rule to myself was you have to say yes. You have to at least have to explore it. And and that was an important piece because when somebody said to me at a business fair, um, at the time I, was, I took a temporary job selling security systems, which I crack up that I ever did that because I'm not naturally very paranoid, so I'm not very good at selling security systems. Um, I ended up with securities, but obviously they were more investing-oriented securities, not security <laughs> systems. But this, um, this financial advisor said, you know, you'd be great at being a financial advisor. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know who you're talking to, but it's clearly not me. Um, I don't balance my checkbook. I don't have a clue what's going on. You know, why are you even saying that? And it was sort of a revelation because she said, oh, that stuff, you can learn that stuff. But it's the personality. It's the motivation, a person who has motivation and the capacity to talk to people and really get excited about things. That's what we can't train. Like, you have to come in with that. The rest of it, mm. the money part, we can teach you that. And I was like, really? Like, I don't even believe you. Um, but I had a rule that I had to say yes. So I was like, all right. 
this is kind of exciting and scary and well, actually it was more like terrifying. And because um, I kept thinking they're going to like pull my credit and they're going to ask me, you know, what kind of investments I have. And it was like, oh, no, it's going to be terrible. Um, but I applied. And I remember going through the interviews and thinking, you know, why would they hire me? Like I'm such a – I so don't fit the mold of – a financial advisor from my perspective. You know, they're all like men in suits and conservative, analytical, mathy types, and that was just so not me. I was this gypsy, creative <laughs> woman that, you know, liked to wear, fan, you know, colorful clothing and didn't like suits at all. And um, and then they hired me. And it was like, wow, okay, this is fascinating. They sent me a computer and they sent me all the stuff I had to do to study for the Series 7 exam. And I had two months to learn what I had to learn in order to pass that test. And, you know, and I was watching all these people around me that weren't making it. And I was passing the test. And I wasn't brilliant. I wasn't making 100%. But I was definitely passing and getting through it and moving on. And, uh, and it was just this fascinating. It became a game mm. of, wow, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can learn about that and teach other people this thing that I thought was completely inaccessible. And, you know, within the first six months, I was, like, the highest producing new um, advisor that they'd had in a long, long time. And it was like, really? Is it, I like, I mean, is it really me? Like, I didn't even recognize myself. Mm. Um, and yet I had so much fun. And one of the things I realized that made it fun was that for the first time, as I still felt very entrepreneurial. It was entirely up to me how well I did. I didn't have a boss, really. I just... It was just like go and find clients and and make you know make people into clients and you know and the only way that you basically got paid at uh, at this firm was through commissions from selling investments. So I could meet with people for three or four sessions, never get paid, and then if they chose not to invest with me, I wouldn't end up with any money in my pocket. So it was a very interesting process, and I just started to realize that oh, this is something that I enjoy. I love teaching other people about it, and I don't feel like I know that much, but at least I probably know a couple more things than they do. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of kept moving forward on that note. Of like, okay, I know a little bit more than everybody else, only because I've just been studying it for the last six months. And then um, my passion for teaching women meant that I also got, I got to, this is where the creativity came in, was I just was like, okay, what's going to make women want to learn about money when most of them think it's a scary thing? So I started doing workshops on, fashion and finance, or I, I did one called Cooking Up a Great Investment, and it was a <laughs> cooking class, um, where I used the whole metaphor of cooking to teach people how mutual funds work. Mm. And I just taught all these crazy, interesting classes. I did gardening classes, because to me, gardening is a perfect metaphor. You know, you can plant annuals, or you can plant perennials, um, but either way, you've got to weed, and you've got to prune, and you've got to pay attention, and you've got to water things. It all made sense to me as a way of communicating. So my, my journey into this world was, was really one of this challenge of, oh, I get to see how many new accounts I'm bringing in. I get to see how much money I'm making. I never had a tool for that before. I get mm-hmm. to see where, how I'm doing compared to other people, which was helpful in the sense that I didn't really know what kind of normal was because I'd always been self-employed. So to start to see like, oh, wow, I'm like bringing in more accounts than many other people and I'm I'm moving along faster and I'm winning awards or whatever. I was doing things that were like, it started to become this totally fun game. 
And uh, at the same time that after being in that firm for seven years, I started to also feel that constriction that comes from being with a middle, like a, a Midwest, pretty conservative firm, that as I started to gain more confidence in myself and realized, like, I want to write a book and I want to, I really kind of want to be my own brand. I don't want to be their brand. And mm. so seven years into it, right after completing my uh, CFP, Certified Financial Planner designation, uh, I, I took the leap and just said, okay, I'm going to go off on my own and start my own firm and um, try that out. So I've been, since 2010, I've owned uh, Lunaria Financial and I brought my branch manager with me, so she has been, she and I run this business together. And that's been a really big, uh, huge journey to like have to almost start over, not entirely, but many of my clients did come with me. But there was a big shift in terms of understanding what I was doing and how I was doing it and reframing the way I do business because I wanted to start working with people in a formula or in a, a manner and a process that really aligned with my more holistic, creative, and certainly out-of-the-box perspective, which involved looking at the emotional relationship people had with money and helping them through all those investment choices, but doing it from a values-based perspective and bringing more socially screened investments into the picture. So there's been a lot of evolution. I feel like I've gone through this evolution. Um, and then I published my books in 2013, and that gave me um, a whole other tool to use with people. And so now, now, now my process is a financial planning practice plus um, – they go through the entire wild money process as well. At the same time, it's overlaid on top of traditional financial planning. Wow. So they're getting a holistic, um, emotionally grounded, spiritually oriented approach to really understanding where their money is and where their belief systems are about money right now in the moment, as well as where do we want to evolve them to so that they're most in alignment with that individual person or couple's dreams and desires. Mm. I have such a more clear picture hearing that story of, um, of why you've been so successful and what it is about your innovative, you know, approach and, and how that developed really un unexpectedly. And it's such a great reminder for listeners as, as you feel, you know, to have, have that curiosity, like what, what's coming up, what opportunities, you know, when we feel like we're set on, on one path and we're, what, we're an artist. And so how could we possibly ever be a financial person? And I just love your willingness and curiosity to, to try new things and to really bring, I think for entrepreneurs listening too, to really bring your unique uh, voice and, and perspective forward and attract the clients and people who, who resonated with your more wild, artistic, emotionally-based um, uh, approach. And I think it's, it's especially effective with the topic of money to, 
to have a, an advisor or professional who, who can integrate both the psychotherapy, mind, emotion piece, along with the practical numbers, what, what to do with your finances. Because too often those are like siloed into two, you see your therapist one day and then the financial planner another day. And yet, mm -hmm. um, has it been your experience that, that kind of combining those, how, how does that affect, how is that more effective? Well, you know, a financial planner can give somebody a whole bunch of information and directives. And if they aren't doing the work around their um, belief systems or internal blockages around what they think about money or how they feel about their worthiness or any of those things, then they're, they're likely to not follow through on the um, on all the things that are being recommended. And so part of, like one of the revelations that I've had in the past, so I've been doing this for almost 15 years, and, and it's only been in the last two years that I've really understood how vital um, an active budgeting process is to success for anyone who is alive and has money in their life, which is everybody. And... Um, and even people that have very high net worth or high incomes, if they're not, if they're not budgeting, um, even loosely budgeting, like I have $1,000 of discretionary income, um, if you're not giving yourself that awareness, you really don't know what's, both what's available to, like, say you want to be more generous in the world. You might not know how to, how to, you don't know really what you can afford to put into um, a budget line item for giving. Uh, likewise, you might not know how to contain certain spending. Um, if you, you know, I, see, I see a lot of times people will say that their values are one thing, but their spending shows that their values are something else entirely. And mm -hmm. one of the ways to get that back into alignment is, is to put the values first. If my value is family, and I, wanna, I have a couple that was here yesterday, and they were, they were saying, you know, we're, we're willing to put this amount of money to support our son in this transition he's making to buying a business because our highest value, what we determined when we did your budgeting process, was how important family really is to us. And it's mm -hmm. more important to us than traveling. Even though we're retired and we thought that it would all be about traveling, we realized that family is a higher value than travel. And right now, he needs our support, and we would rather put our money there. And we're willing to delay our travel needs until he's on his feet. And that's where values really help you, help guide you. And, and one of the things they said to me, they're both in their late 60s, and they said, you know, we'd never budgeted before. We didn't even know how we were doing, except that we had this, like, low-grade anxiety all the time of, are we making yeah. good choices? You know, and until you, until you do that budgeting, you don't really realize um, that, you know, I actually was reading my journal today. I was reading my journal from a year and a half ago, a year ago. And I wrote, I never thought I would find budgeting soothing. I <laughs> never imagined how that could possibly be so. Because I was married to somebody who, you know, when she was super stressed out, she would uh, balance the checkbook. And I thought that was just the most bizarre thing. I was like, what the hell? Like, get a massage, but balancing the checkbook, how can that be soothing? And I realize that now one of my strategies when I'm feeling stressed out is I go and I, and I, and I work on my budget. Uh -huh. And it is soothing. The numbers just give me a sense of everything's okay. And, mm. and even if it's not okay or even if there's something unforeseen, I'm at least looking at it. My head's not in the sand. Um, I, I, I have more 
capacity, more choices if I'm looking at it than I do if I'm not looking at it. And so therefore, I just have anxiety. That doesn't help anybody. Um, yeah, so that's kind of so what, just lost so my train of thought. <laughs> a, a little sense of what, you know, what, what does make your budgeting classes unique? It sounds like this is a pretty unique approach you have. Yeah, so on the other side of my life, um, a year and a half ago, I opened a business called Sacred Money Studios, which you mentioned in the intro. And, um, and, and much like my, son of my epiphany when I saw this painting and I knew I had to do this, I, two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, I went on a vision quest in central Oregon. And it actually, this, this kind of downloaded before I went, but I was in preparation and my... Uh, my guide for the, for the vision quest said, you know, ceremony is 90% preparation and 10% ceremony. And I was like, okay, so the minute you make the decision to go on a vision quest, you're in a ceremonial process. And so about a week or two before I went on vision quest, I just downloaded this entire vision for Sacred Money Studios. I knew the name. I knew what it was supposed to offer. I knew where it was going to be. I knew I had no idea how I was going to fund it, that part. I was like, hey, universe, like, could you fill that part in for me? Like, <laughs> Where's the money coming from? Um, and what I knew was that I kept getting calls after having released my books from people saying, you know, these books are great, but I still need someone that can help me learn how to budget or I need somebody that can help me get out of debt. I don't know where to start. I have all these student loans. What do I do? And as a financial planner, my model, my business model, didn't really give me the space to work with a lot of people that didn't have any money or didn't have mm-hmm. enough resources to certainly need or afford financial planning. And so this really was my, um, I think it was the universe, kind of, really it wasn't mine, but it came through me to answer that question of how do we create a place, and to me it needed to be a place. I'm, I'm so clear about that. Like there's a lot of great things happening virtually in the world, but I'm personally not a virtual, like I don't dig the virtual world. I like to see people face-to-face. I like to give people hugs. I like to see the expression on their face as I'm teaching. And so I created this space. So the vision came in June of 2015, and by May of 2016, we opened our doors, Um, which is crazy. It was a crazy year. And what we do in this space is, besides it's a pie shop, so we, we say, you know, pie fixes everything, or you can come here to get a piece of the pie. Um, And I just jokingly say that the pie shop is just a front. It's really just a way to get people in the door and get them enjoying the cafe in order to recognize that really what we do here, or our ulterior motive, so to speak, is to educate people about money and to give them a place that's safe, that's um, authentic, and that really offers as a broad selection of courses around how to come into alignment with your money. So it's education, not advisement. I do advisement across the street at my financial planning firm, but, but over there, it's a place to really learn budgeting. So we use a tool called You Need a Budget, otherwise known as YNAB. That's what the, just the initials of You Need a Budget. And it's a great tool. It's a tool that anybody can access. But what we found was that most people, even if they knew the tool was available, aren't going to use it and certainly didn't know how to use it in a way that was aligning uh, with their spiritual practices their, and their emotional journey. So we take that, and, and in three levels we teach 
these budgeting classes so that people can develop mastery and do that in a community. So my philosophy is that when we talk about money in community, like you said at the beginning of this talk, when we talk about it openly, it reduces that feeling of shame or taboo around money and helps us to start feeling like we're not alone, we're not weird, um, we're, we're just kind of part of the human race and we're all trying to struggle through this thing called money together. I have people in the classes that have $20 in the bank account and we have people that have $20,000 in the bank account and they're all in the same class learning from each other and recognizing that, wow, you have a ton of money and you feel just as much angst and shame and um, confusion around money as I do and I only have $20 in my bank account. And mm. that kind of leveling of the playing field really helps people to be less judgmental of themselves and of other people, which I think is kind of one of our most critical needs is to stop judging each other, you know, and stop mm -hmm. being so um, so quick to say, oh, you must have it good, or you, it's probably super easy for you, or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, I wish I were you. Uh, one, of the reasons, mm -hmm. one of the reasons my clients say they don't want to talk to their friends when they inherit money or when they go through a divorce settlement or anything is because the common response is, oh, I wish I were you. Oh, big problem you have. You just inherited half a million dollars. I wish I had that problem. And, you know, the thing is, it's a big deal and it's uncomfortable. And somebody saying, I wish I had that problem completely discounts that you have feelings about it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's isolating. It's extremely isolating. So one of the things mm -hmm. I try to encourage people to do is to watch their judgments. And instead of being judgmental, which that feels very judgmental, um, be curious. Like, wow, what's it like to have just inherited half a million dollars? Like, that's a great question. Like, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be fun to answer? You know, it's confusing. It's, I feel like I can't spend it because my dad did so much to save it and who am I to spend his money? And, you know, there's so many feelings about self-worth and uh, guilt Mm -hmm. Lots of feelings. People feel the same way about divorces. Sometimes they get money in a divorce and they're like, screw that asshole. Like, I didn't like him, so I'm just going to spend this money. And I'm like, yeah, but it's your resource now. Mm -hmm. If you spend that wildly in, in reaction to who that person was in your life, and you actually made the choice to marry them, by the way, um, you know, you're actually hurting yourself. You're not hurting anybody else but yourself. And it's, mm. so it's this unconscious process. So part of what we do over at the pie shop uh, and Sacred Money Studios is that we, in alignment with teaching budgeting classes that are values-based and driven through this kind of portal of understanding what matters most to you, we also teach classes that use tapping or EFT, which is uh, emotional freedom technique, to clear out old mindsets. They could be cultural, they can be family, they can be religious, there's all kinds of mindsets that we sort of have in our lives that we don't even know we have, but we are definitely being run by them. And we work with those to actually both clear them out and, and see what it is you really want. So if you say over and over again, oh, I really want to be able to have $10,000 in savings, but you can't get there. Like every time you get close, some big emergency happens. That's an internal mind, mm -hmm. um, it's an internal block that you need to work through. So there's something in you that doesn't feel deserving of having $10,000. So we work on that and look at what comes up when you start doing that work. And, and it's often something old, but it, it can be ancestral too. There's a lot of ancestral 
work that we end up doing because, you know, depressions and wars and Holocaust survivors and all kinds of things create almost cellular memory that I believe gets carried through different family structures. So Mm -hmm. some families have poverty mentalities. Some families have mentalities of money will always be there. I'll always be good with money. Um, Other people carry, you know, money is always there, but it comes with distress. It comes with anger. It comes with um, control. Mm-hmm. And and so we have to disconnect those two things. Like, oh, you're great at receiving money, but you're not good at receiving money without the belief system that it's going to screw you up. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a problem. So we combine those two things, and then the, the so we do the emotional work. We do the budgeting, which I call the boots on the ground work. Like you have to, you do have to develop your skills. You can't just you can't just do the law of attraction, right? I mean, it's like that's uh-huh. great work to understand, but you can't just do that because if you don't understand how to navigate your money and pay attention to it and look at your bank statements and, and say, wow, where did that come from? I don't even remember spending that money. Oh, somebody must have gotten into my checking account. Or my... And I had that happen mm-hmm. last month. I had three fraudulent purchases on two different credit cards. I was like, if I hadn't been paying wow. attention, I never would have caught it. And wow. So... Right? I mean, that stuff is like mindfulness. This is like a meditation practice. Um, and so then the third piece of what we do at the studio is we also bring ceremony into the picture. And so I'm a strong believer that accessing um, the divine through ceremony is another way to communicate clearly to all of our being, um, physical form and non-physical form, what matters to us. And by using ceremony as a sacred space to to either release things that need to be let go of or to call things in that you're really clearly intending. Um, it adds a different level of mm, clarity, I think, and intentionality if you do that in a group. Um, I certainly do a lot of ceremony on my own, but I love doing ceremony in groups. So we do, we've done groups, we've done ceremonies, and I call them ceremony. <laughs> ceremony <laughs> circles. Um, and so we've done a ceremony circle on grief, um, all the grief around different things that have happened to us around money and what do we need to let go of, mistakes we've made, bad choices around, um, often it's like I married the wrong person or I made the wrong career move. Or, and it's just like we've got to forgive ourselves, move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't just move on without doing the forgiveness work. you kind of got to do the work. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, so what we're doing across the street is really um, – is really trying this doing this three pillar sort of approach to making sure that you're you're honoring your own spiritual practice around money and getting clarity around that. You're doing the work of learning new skills and empowering yourself to be competent at money and we're looking at that emotional piece of things that get in your way or things that you want to achieve and and really working it so that we can get further, faster, not be stuck in one I just love your work, Luna. It's like, uh, yeah, just such an integrated approach that really, you know, um, accounts for the entire person, heart, mind, body, and soul, and and really uh, works on all of those levels. I love how you bring in the honoring of the ancestors, the power of group ceremony, um, the EFT tapping, 
it's just like uh, bringing together some of the best and most powerful technologies, um, if you will, that, that I've seen and, and really imagine the transformation that's, that's possible um, with your approach. Um, let's take a quick break now. Um, and when we come back, I, I just love your perspective on, you know, both as a, a woman, uh, a woman and an entrepreneur, just really um, speaking to, I'd love to hear some of the common struggles that women and entrepreneurs have and, and some of the, um, you know, advice you have for people who may be um, stressed out about their own money. So we'll be back in just a minute. Do you get choked up and flush talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding, creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. We are back with Luna Jaffe of Sacred Money Studios and um, author, teacher, facilitator, certified financial planner. She uh, was just sharing some about her journey and her approach at really um, uh, supporting people in a more healthy relationship with money and uh, just uh, so fascinating her her perspective from all these probably thousands of hours of conversations that you've had about money with people Luna um, and I'm curious you know many of the people listening maybe women entrepreneurs and uh, maybe feeling stressed or, or struggling with money and um, well, first, let's let's speak to some of the biggest struggles that you've seen over the years, and some common themes that about women's uh, struggles with money. What can you share about that? Oh boy, um, <laughs> so much. <laughs> where do I start? Uh, I think I think the biggest issue I see among women business owners, and many women don't even consider themselves entrepreneurs. Um, it, that kind of title seems to go further than many women don't, you know, they're doing a, a small craft business, they're doing an Airbnb business, they're um, doing childcare, or whatever. Those things are all businesses. And so many times, I think one of the biggest ways we underestimate ourselves and therefore downplay our own worthiness is by not, not owning that I do have a business and this business, deter- it, um, it deserves my uh, attention. It needs my ability to build skills around it. And um, only recently, I, I got involved in a, a program at the local university here in Portland that's called a Social Innovators Business um, Development Program. 
And I was thinking, why didn't I do this 15 years ago or 30 years ago when I started being an artist? It's like, why didn't I see that there really are resources in my community to help me become a better business owner or better, even just to hear from, from business owners about the struggles they have or the resources that they can share. Um, you know, so I think if there's one thing I could say, it's is reach out and find mentors early on, not mentors that charge you a fortune for their services. Those aren't mentors. Those are people that are doing business, which is great, and there's value there. However, um, most people will spend a lot more money than they really have available early, too early in their business venture on things that aren't really going to help them make money. And I, I just I see it so commonly. I see people spending tens of thousands of dollars on coaching when they don't even have a business yet or when they don't know that the idea for their business is really viable so really, mm-hmm. like one of the most valuable tools I've ever learned, and I have Andrea Lee to, to uh, thank for this concept, is um, she's a business coach up in Vancouver, Washington. Um, Andrea basically, you know, she said at the beginning stages of a business, or, or many people, even if you've been in business 10 years, you're still at the beginning stages of the business because you're not financially sustainable. And that's the first step is to become financially sustainable um, she said one of the best things you can do when you're starting a business or trying to get your business on the right track is to create proof that that business idea has merit. Um, it has legs. And the way you do that is if you, you know, I had a woman in here the other day and she said, um, <laughs> she said this is such a perfect example. So she, she's a client of mine and she said, oh, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to do a partnership with this woman I just met and we're going to, start this business and it's awesome and I'm so excited and I need a referral to get the legal work done and, um, you know, because we're going to form this business entity. And I said, okay. So I wrote it back and I said, so one, you need to understand that a business partnership is a marriage. Are you willing to marry this person? Do you want to sleep with her? Literally, I mean, so to speak. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, are you, are you, oh, you know, it, this is a big deal. It's not just a little thing you step into. And then the second question I said is, what are you going to sell and how do you know that there's a demand for it? And she said, oh God, I think I better come see you. (laughs) And so she came in and we had this long conversation and she said, well, you know, we're going to sell meditation programs to, um, to corporations and it's going to be awesome and they're going to do these weekend retreats and we just think it's going to be wonderful. And I said, you know, it may be wonderful, but until you go about the effort of, Seeing how that goes, are corporations willing to put money on the, on the line and how much money are they willing to put down to do those retreats? Yes, it seems like a viable idea, but you don't know whether it's actually going to hit the mark. And you don't know if how you do it will hit the mark. And so instead of spending thousands of dollars on a website and print and all these things, I said your best move right now is to create proof that there is going to be a demand for this type of service and that mm-hmm. it will generate enough revenue to become profitable enough for two people to own a business together around it. And so there's plenty of other models that you can use. I mean, one of you could be the business owner and the other one's the contractor. You don't have to marry each other to do this business. Um, You can both be sole proprietors. You can do Mm -hmm. lots of different structures. And so so I'm talking to her, eyes are getting bigger and bigger, and she's like, I never thought about that. I'm like, if you don't kind of run the numbers around, okay, so if we can – you know, sell a, 
a package for $5,000 to a corporation and they send 10 people to our weekend workshop and we have to cover the cost of our accommodations and, uh, and we each make $1,000. Then you have to ask yourself, was that worth it? Mm-hmm. Could I make more money doing something else? Um, <laughs> and the answer might be yes. And it, it's not the reason to not do it, but it's a reason to say, how many of those can I do realistically? And do I want to work that hard to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And these are the questions that so often people don't answer. Um, same is true with making a jewelry or making whatever. You're making something and, and you're recognizing that. You know, I have, a, I have a client who makes these beautiful, beautiful um, medicine dolls, and they're so beautiful. And, you know, I asked her one day, I said, so how, ma- how many hours do you put into them? And she's like, oh, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> I said, <laughs> yeah, no. okay, well, tell me anyway. She said, well, each doll probably takes me eight hours. And I said, but you can't sell them for $50 then because yeah. you're not making any, I mean, you, you know, you're making $5 an hour. Mm-hmm. She's like, I know. <laughs> like, so, you know, so how do you change that so that, um, you know, there's more to it? And it can be simple things that can make something have more value. You can write a story about it, and the story sells it for a higher price. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can have a very simple graphic that just tells this. It's amazing what sells. I mean, you can see candles that are like $40, and they sell because of the packaging. Yeah, the candle's not worth $40. It's the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things like that. But if you don't think it through, and you, and you have expensive packaging, and you want it to look fantastic, and you're still selling it for $20, when you could sell it for more, you're not going to make any profit. And ultimately, I always say to people, you know, ultimately, if your reason for doing this business is to support yourself, you have to work yourself into the picture. You have mm-hmm. to say, my salary is part of the equation. And so many times people forget that part. Mm. So, so that's yeah. a big piece. The other piece I see that's just fundamentally, oh, it's so, it's so common uh, it's a common problem, is people don't pay themselves. They don't mm-hmm. pay themselves a regular salary. So it doesn't matter what you do for a living. If you're a massage therapist, if you're a healer, if you're a uh, jewelry maker, if you have an Airbnb, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do for, for extra income or for your sole, um, sole source of income, paying yourself a regular salary is a way of respecting yourself. It's a way of giving yourself stability and I know the first argument that people will have about that is, well, how can I pay myself regularly if I don't know when the next check's coming in? And I'm like, you're right, you can't for a little while. So for the first couple months of trying to do this, you might not be able to pay yourself at all. You have to mm-hmm. let money pool, as I call it. You have to let it pool so that you have enough that you can say, all right, now I have $3,000, and I can project that perhaps I'll make another $3,000 in the next three months. So I can probably pay myself eight or $900 a month maybe, depending on what my other issues are, taxes, expenses, all those things. Mm-hmm. But paying yourself regularly is the way, is the way, and I'll just like, that is the way to start making more money. Because mm-hmm. what most people do is they make money, they don't keep it in a separate checking account, so they don't treat it like a business. They're not treating that, that entity as a respected, independent entity in their lives. Um, every time they make money, they think it's 100% theirs to take, which it's not. In, in other words, part of it belongs to the expenses of the business. Part of it belongs to taxes. And so they, 
they, you know, they make $300 and they take $300. They're like, that's my income. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. And then they wonder why they have a big tax bill or they have something unexpected or they just, they just don't understand why they're not making any, any more money. And you're not making more money because you're not treating a business with respect, which mm-hmm. means you're not treating yourself with respect. And, and that's where you get to watch that mindset cycling around of, ah, I'm never going to have enough money. But okay, that's a story. There's some mm-hmm. great tapping. Um, for anybody who's really struggling with that, you know, Google on, on YouTube, Google tapping scripts for wealth or tapping for money mm-hmm. or something like that. There's a couple. Margaret Lynch has some fabulous uh, tapping, mm-hmm. free tapping programs on, on YouTube that, that help you look at those things. Of why am I tripping myself up here and not feeling like it's even remotely possible that I could ever make more than $1,000 a month? Um, mm-hmm. you, you don't have to live in poverty. You have to find a new strategy. And the strategy may mean that you have to work part-time for a while. You might mm-hmm. have to work for somebody else until your mindset changes enough that allows you to feel worthy of, of charging more for the service or the product that you make. That's mm-hmm. not a failure. That's a great recalculation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it takes the stress out of the picture. Um, I think removing stress is one of the best ways to improve your money flow. Because mm-hmm. when you're stressed out and desperate, people don't want to buy whatever you're selling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a negative attractor. It's like it's, it's repulsive rather than attractive. Mm-hmm. So these are things that you all you know you kind of got to pay attention to. Oh, and some great gems there. <laughs> Love it. Oh man, I know we can talk for hours about this. I just uh, yeah, I love your perspective and insights and what you've really. Uh, understand about you know especially women and entrepreneurs from all these years of being one and and also working with so many it's could you tell people uh your websites and and the best way to buy a copy of so what and and clarify wild money is a book and a workbook mm-hmm. yeah so i have three books i have um the, yeah the main book is there's a book there's a wild money journal and there's a wild money coloring book um, so you can also use the coloring book as a way to sort of – actually, coloring book's really fun in groups um, because there's pages for writing and journaling, and then there's pages where you can just color, and you can color while you're sharing in a group. It's, it's fun. It's a fun process. I also have Wild Money Oracle cards that I use with all my clients and in all of my classes. I have two different decks, a Wild Money deck and a Sacred Money Oracle deck. Those are um, – those are not on my website yet. That's a flaw on my part. I haven't gotten there yet. But um, for anybody who's coming to Portland, visiting Sacred Money Studios, um, my website is sacredmoneystudios.com. Lunajaffe.com is where you can buy books. And uh, interestingly now, um, my Amazon doesn't even discount my books anymore. So it's the same price to buy them through me, but I definitely benefit a lot more if you buy them through me than through Amazon. Um, I think I make a dollar each time I sell something through Amazon. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I know. It's insane. And then um, my financial planning website is lunariafinancial.com. And there's lots of information on all three of those websites. Excellent. Wow. Well, um, so appreciate your wisdom, your perspective, and insights. And, you know, as as I hear you speaking, it seems so, like, accessible and, like, common sense. And this is really just, you know, kind of a matter of fact, you know, it's it's that as well as, like, deeply, you know, um, spiritually grounded and, you know, really using some of these innovative techniques like EFT and 
ceremony and such. And so I just uh, really appreciate your your perspective, how you're bringing people. If people are listening in the Portland area, go um, actually have a piece of pie and enjoy some of her shops there at the Prosperity Pie Shop. And um, I'm curious if, uh, you know, in the last minute or so, if you'd like to say any closing remarks. Yeah, we also have gluten-free and paleo pie. <laughs> All right. So we try to serve everything. Um, I, I guess what I, yeah, what I want to say is, is believe in yourself and know that if you're not feeling confident about money, it's not because you're not capable of that. It's because you haven't learned how to do it. And whenever you're working with any kind of financial professional, if they make you feel stupid, it, that's a good time to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you want to work with people that empower you and, uh, and honor any question you might have and invite your questions. And if somebody... Uh, is condescending or in any way discounting of your questions, then it's time to move elsewhere. I really Mm. can't say that enough. Trust your guts when it comes to working with people and interview lots of people. If you're looking for an estate planning attorney, a financial advisor, a money coach, interview people and and trust that when your gut says, wow, this feels good, or "Mm, I'm a little uncomfortable with this, you know, trust it and, and don't push yourself into something um, just because you think it would be good for you. I, my experience has been that that has not panned out. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm all for supporting you in listening deeply and honoring what feels good. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad you ended on that uh, that note, Luna. It's it's just <clears throat> such a, a feminine approach to uh, to business, to life, and that men and women can can utilize our. Uh, intuition and really be able to to develop relationships um, that are supportive, that are nurturing and inspiring. And I I just want to affirm what you said about really uh, selectively with great discernment choosing who is in your uh, in your court to support you and and really looking at who is in your life who is offering support professionally and personally and and just really uh trust your intuition and and do your research to find uh the right support and have the courage and curiosity to be willing to transform your relationship with money So thank you so much, Luna uh, Jaffe, for joining us and really encourage everyone to check out her book and her websites and classes up there in Portland because learning uh, about money can be fun and engaging and good, soulful work. All right. Thank you so much, Luna, for your time today. for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.